You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, The Quest for Sustainable Business, an epic journey in search of corporate responsibility. Death and Rebirth, from CSR 1.0 to CSR 2.0. Internet Inspirations. By May of 2008, it was clear to me that this evolutionary concept of Web 2.0 held many lessons for sustainable business. I published my initial thoughts in a short article online entitled CSR 2.0, The New Era of Corporate Sustainability and Responsibility, in which I said that the field of what is variously known as CSR, sustainability, corporate citizenship and business ethics, is ushering in a new era in the relationship between business and society. Simply put, we are shifting from the old concept of CSR, the classic notion of corporate social responsibility, which I call CSR 1.0, to a new integrated conception, CSR 2.0, which can be more accurately labelled corporate sustainability and responsibility. The allusion to Web 1.0 and Web 2.0 is no coincidence. The transformation of the internet through the emergence of social media networks, user-generated content and open-source approaches is a fitting metaphor for the changes business is experiencing as it begins to redefine its role in society. So let's look at some of the similarities. In Web 1.0, we have a flat world that's just beginning to connect itself and finding a new medium to push out information and plug advertising. Similarly, CSR 1.0 is a vehicle for companies to establish relationships with communities, channel philanthropic contributions and manage their image. Web 1.0 saw the rise to prominence of innovators like Netscape, but these were quickly outmuscled by giants like Microsoft with its Internet Explorer. In CSR 1.0, there were also many startup pioneers like Tradecraft, but it's ultimately turned into a product for large multinationals like Walmart. Web 1.0 focused largely on the standardized software and hardware of the PC as its platform rather than multi-level applications. Similarly, CSR 1.0 traveled down the road of one-size-fits-all standardization through code, standards and guidelines to shape its offering. By contrast, Web 2.0 is being defined by watchwords like collective intelligence, collaborative networks and user participation. Similarly, CSR 2.0 is being defined by concepts like global commons, innovative partnerships and stakeholder involvement. In Web 2.0, tools like social media, knowledge syndication and beta testing are common, Whereas in CSR 2.0, mechanisms include diverse stakeholder panels, real-time transparent reporting, and a new wave of social entrepreneurship. Finally, Web 2.0 is as much a state of being as a technical advance. It is a new philosophy or way of seeing the world differently. 
and so too CSR 2.0 is recognizing a shift in power from centralized to decentralized, a change in scale from few and big to many and small, and a change in application from single and exclusive to multiple and shared. As our world becomes more connected and global challenges like climate change and poverty loom ever larger, businesses that still practice CSR 1.0 will, like their web 1.0 counterparts, be rapidly left behind. Highly conscientized and networked stakeholders will expose them and gradually withdraw their social license to operate. By contrast, companies that embrace the CSR 2.0 era will be those that collaboratively and collectively find innovative ways to tackle our global challenges and be rewarded in the marketplace as a result. The Ages and Stages of CSR Building on these ideas and in order to make sense of everything I've seen in the 50-plus countries I've travelled to in the past 20 years, I devised a model that depicts the evolution of business responsibility in terms of five overlapping periods, the ages of greed, philanthropy, marketing, management and responsibility, each of which typically manifests a different stage of sustainable business, namely defensive, charitable, promotional, strategic, all of these CSR 1.0 approaches and finally transformative CSR, which is CSR 2.0. My contention is that companies tend to move through these ages and stages, although they may have activities in several ages and stages at once, and that we should be encouraging business to make the transition to transformative CSR in the dawning age of responsibility. If companies remain stuck in any one of the first four stages, I do not believe we will turn the tide on environmental, social and ethical crises that we face. Simply put, sustainable business will continue to fail. Let me introduce the ages and stages of sustainable business here briefly. The age of greed is characterized by defensive CSR in which all corporate sustainability and responsibility practices, which are typically limited, are undertaken only if and when it can be shown that shareholder value will be protected as a result. Hence, employee volunteer programs, which show evidence of improved staff motivation, commitment and productivity, are not uncommon, nor are targeted expenditures, for example on pollution controls, which are seen to fend off regulation or avoid fines and penalties. Charitable CSR in the age of philanthropy is where a company supports various social and environmental causes through donations and sponsorships, typically administered through a foundation, trust or chairman's fund, and aimed at empowering community groups or civil society organisations. Promotional CSR in the age of marketing is what happens when corporate sustainability and responsibility is seen mainly as a public relations opportunity to enhance the brand, image and reputation of the company. Promotional CSR may draw on the practices of charitable and strategic CSR, the next one, and turn them into PR spin, which is often characterized as greenwashing. Strategic CSR, emerging from the age of management, 
means relating sustainable business activities to the company's core business, like Coca-Cola's focus on water management, often through adherence to sustainable business codes and implementation of social and environmental management systems, which typically involve cycles of sustainable business policy development, goal and target setting, program implementation, auditing and reporting. Transformative CSR in the Age of Responsibility focuses its activities on identifying and tackling the root causes of our present unsustainability and irresponsibility, typically through innovating business models, revolutionizing their processes, products and services, and lobbying for progressive national and international policies. Hence, while strategic CSR is focused at the micro level, supporting social or environmental issues that happen to align with its strategy, but not necessarily changing that strategy, transformative CSR focuses on understanding the interconnections of the macro level system, societies and ecosystems, and changing its strategy to optimize the outcomes for this larger human and ecological system. The failure of CSR 1.0 Why has CSR 1.0, those approaches from the ages of greed, philanthropy, marketing and management, failed so spectacularly to address the very issues it claims to be most concerned about? In my view, it comes down to three factors, which I call the triple curse of modern CSR. Firstly, to summarise them, Peripheral CSR is where CSR has remained largely restricted to the largest companies and mostly confined to PR or other departments rather than being integrated across the business. Secondly, incremental CSR is where CSR has adopted the total quality management or TQM model, which results in incremental improvements that do not match the scale and urgency of the problems. And thirdly, uneconomic CSR is where CSR does not always make economic sense, as the short-term markets will still deliver rewards to companies that externalize their impacts on society. Let's dig a little deeper. Starting with incremental CSR, this occurs as a result of one of the great revolutions of the 1970s, namely Total Quality Management, TQM, conceived by American statistician W. Edwards Deming and perfected by the Japanese before being exported around the world as ISO 9001, that standard of the International Standards Organization. At the very core of Deming's TQM model and the ISO standard is continuous improvement, a principle that has now become ubiquitous in all management system approaches to performance. It is no surprise, therefore, that the most popular environmental management standard, ISO 14001, is built on the same principle. There is nothing wrong with continuous improvement per se. On the contrary, it has brought safety and reliability to the very products and services that we associate with modern quality of life. But when we use it as the primary approach to tackle our social, environmental and ethical challenges, it fails on two critical counts, speed and scale. 
The incremental approach to sustainable business, while replete with evidence of micro-scale gradual improvements, has completely and utterly failed to make any impact on the massive sustainability crises that we face, many of which are getting worse at a pace that far outstrips any futile sustainable business-led attempts at amelioration. Then let's look at peripheral CSR. This is evident when you ask any sustainable business manager what their greatest frustration is, and they tell you lack of top management commitment. This is code for saying that sustainable business is at best a peripheral function in most companies. There may be a sustainable business manager, a CSR department even, a CSR report and a public commitment to any number of sustainable business codes and standards, but these do little to mask the underlying truth that shareholder-driven capitalism is rampant and its obsession with short-term financial measures of progress is contradictory in almost every way to the long-term stakeholder approach needed for high-impact sustainable business. The reason Enron collapsed all those years ago, and indeed why the 2008 financial crisis was allowed to spiral out of control, was not because of a few rogue executives or creative accounting practices. It was because of a culture of greed embedded in the DNA of the company and the financial markets. Whether you agree or not, and despite the emerging research on responsible competitiveness, it is hard to find any substantive examples in which the financial markets consistently reward responsible behavior. Which brings us to curse number three, an economic CSR. If ever there was a monotonously repetitive, stuck record in sustainable business debates, it is the one about the so-called business case for CSR. That is because CSR managers and consultants and even the occasional saintly CEO are desperate to find compelling evidence that doing good is good for business. In other words, that sustainable business pays. The lack of corroborative research seems to be no impediment for these desperados, endlessly encanting the motto of the business case as if it were an entirely self-evident fact. The rather more inconvenient truth is that sustainable business sometimes pays in specific circumstances, but more often does not. Of course, there are low-hanging fruit like eco-efficiencies around waste and energy, but these only go so far. Most of the hardcore sustainable business changes that are needed to reverse the misery of poverty and the sixth mass extinction of species currently underway require strategic change and massive investment. They may very well be lucrative in the long term, economically rational over a generation or two, but we have already established that the financial markets do not work like that, at least not yet.